Do you know how sometimes you hear me speak about living our homeschool lives on purpose? Today I'm going to unpack that. We can choose an individualized education, allow our family values to seep into our children, we can create an intentional community, recreate a family construct and atmosphere chosen by us. We can include activities, a lifestyle, we can even include belongings on purpose. And one of the ways we do this is to shed what's not truly us and embrace what is. So I ask you, in the words of Elizabeth Gilbert, when was the last time you felt truly light, joyous? What are you doing that gives you an opportunity to unfold a certain beauty and transcendence within your life that cannot be accessed in any other manner. I'll pause and let you consider. And introduce myself if we haven't met. I'm Teresa, homeschool mentor and life coach over at Capturing the Charm Life. If we haven't met before, here's a brief introduction. I've homeschooled my four kids, almost three kids graduated now and my youngest entering high school next year. I'm here to help you homeschool mama shed what's not working so you can show up in your homeschool in life authentically, purposefully, and confidently. I'd love for you to reach out to me and introduce yourself to me. Let me know about you and your homeschool. You can do that over on the Instagram account, Homeschool Mama Self-Care, the Facebook page and or support group, or you can connect with me on my website page, capturingthecharmlife.com. When I was just learning to write about grade one, I bought a tiny green locked journal. I've been journaling almost every day since. I'm now 49. When I was younger, I also wrote short stories, kind of narrative style. I was exploring my beliefs around the hot topics of the day. I sometimes wrote takeoff narrative pieces that would involve Michael J. Fox, or at least in my mind I imagined him playing certain characters. So I can continue my narrative dream, aka crush, beyond the screen. I brought that story about him to grade 9 social studies class, and as it circulated through class, not with the teacher's awareness, other girls began writing stories too. I could get lost in creative writing. One night, somewhere in my grade 9 year, I would write almost through the entire night, realizing I had to get ready for school in two hours. It was 5 a.m., I've written fictional short stories my entire life, diary entries. The very first thing I'd published were a few devotionals in an anthology. I wrote for a mom magazine for a year. I wrote a book. No, not the book that compelled this podcast, coincidentally titled Homeschool Mama Self-Care. I've written a book on self-directed learning. It's not published though I've got an upcoming intensive on de-schooling your homeschool based on that unpublished book. I have an entire website that I almost never mention about our seven years of world schooling. And the website you're familiar with that I mention often is Capturing the Charm Life. I began that on a Wednesday evening at a Starbucks 
was my life preserver to process my life and record all the remarkable stories that we were creating. And I've written and rewritten and rewritten my life memoir. In the beginning, I wrote it in fictional narrative because I didn't want to declare the theme out loud or out certain characters in my life. Then I wrote it in first person, but had been told it was filled with too much harshness, trauma, cursing to be palatable. Interesting, because that was a distinct tone of my childhood, not coincidentally. Then it got tucked away into my desk as well, so I could write Homeschool Mama Self-Care Nurturing the Nurturer. For you, and I wrote it for me. So today we're going to talk about creativity. Not necessarily writing creativity. What's your source of creativity? What keeps you from being creative? Even though I know you're busy, because I definitely know your lifestyle, I'm not going to let you off the hook. Just 15 minutes a week to invest in you, in being creative for you, is all I encourage you to do, if you're not already doing creative things. This Thursday, we're going to be discussing creativity and how to allow it to fuel our homeschool mom lives as we discuss Elizabeth Gilbert's book, Big Magic. You're invited. It's virtual. Just five bucks, and you don't have to read the book. You are always welcome to. And as books go, this one is a spitfire of fuel and encouragement. So today I'm excited to share with you how Elizabeth Gilbert, the author of Big Magic, Creative Living Beyond Fear, infuses our homeschools or can infuse our homeschools with big magic. We want our kids to be self-directed learners, lifelong learners, eager to follow interesting rabbit trails and engage their curiosities and just play their hearts out. But are we truly encouraging them to do that if we are not doing that ourselves? Elizabeth Gilbert addresses why we're not likely to pursue that creativity. She tells us your fear will always be triggered by your creativity because creativity asks you to enter into realms of uncertain outcome and fear hates uncertain outcome. Creativity is just play in disguise. When we've been accustomed to living the adult life long enough, we don't assume that play should be part of our adult lives. What's the value of certain outcome of play and creativity in our homeschool mom life? We'll play, clean my kitchen, clean the dog's bowl, fold the laundry, drive my kids to soccer, teach the kids how to understand polynomials. If play can't do that, then girlfriend, I agree, none of us has time to play. Sure, we think we should sit on the family room floor and play Legos with our kiddo. We assume we should play games like Bananagrams and Monopoly because they're educational. We assume the kids should be playing, at times at least, and obviously we're giving them more time to do that when they homeschool. But allowing ourselves to sit with a few bags of pretty beads and thread and explore? 
should I make a bracelet or should I hot glue gun some beads on a piece of colored cardstock to make a bookmark? We're not usually doing that. Should you pull out your crochet basket like you did when you were pregnant with your first child? Could you return to a childhood interest even though you're 39? Is there value in pursuing an audacious dream just because? Can you really pursue adventure in your life even as a homeschool mom? We don't assume we should play like this. We don't assume that this part of our lives is supposed to be for play. And we certainly haven't got the time to play anyway. Our adult selves assume we have to have a plan. We must use our time wisely. Sound familiar? Our time cannot be wasted. And anyway, if we're creative, what we create will likely not be good anyway. Therefore, what would be the end goal of doing these things, these creative things anyway, since there's no certain outcome? Elizabeth Gilbert says, let me list for you some of the many ways in which you might be afraid to live a more creative life. Okay, I'm going to try and just take a deep breath. And since I've been dealing with this virus for two weeks, I'm going to go with, I won't be able to just give this all to you in one big breath gulp. But here are some ways that you may be afraid to live a more creative life. You're afraid you have no talent. You're afraid you'll be rejected or criticized or ridiculed or misunderstood or worst of all, ignored. You're afraid there's no market for your creativity and therefore no point in pursuing it. You're afraid somebody else already did it better. You're afraid everybody else already did it better. Or somebody will steal your ideas so it's safer to keep them hidden forever in the dark. Maybe you're afraid you won't be taken seriously or that your work isn't politically, emotionally, spiritually, or artistically important enough to change anyone's life. Maybe you're afraid that your dreams are embarrassing. You're afraid that someday you'll look back on your creative endeavors as having been a giant waste of time, effort, and money, or that you don't have the right kind of discipline to do it anyway. Maybe you're afraid you don't have the right kind of workspace, or financial freedom, or empty hours, obviously, which to focus on invention or exploration. Maybe you don't think you have the right kind of training or degree. You're afraid you're too fat. Okay, I love that she put this in here. Here's what she says in brackets. I don't know what this has to do with creativity exactly, but experience has taught me that most of us are afraid we're too fat, so let's just put that on the anxiety list for good measure. <laughs> she says you're afraid of being exposed as a hack, a fool, a dilettante, or a narcissist. You're afraid of upsetting your family with what you may reveal. You're afraid of what your peers and coworkers will say if you express your personal truth aloud. Or maybe you're afraid of your innermost demons and you really don't want to encounter that stuff. Maybe you're afraid your best work is behind you. You're afraid you've never had any best work to begin with. You're afraid you neglected your creativity for so long that now you can never get it back. Or you're too old to start. You're too young to start. You're afraid because something went well in your life once, so obviously nothing else is going to go well again. 
Or maybe because nothing has ever gone well in your life, so why bother trying? And you may be afraid of being a one-hit wonder or being afraid of a no-hit wonder. Okay, girlfriend, I don't know what you could add to that list, but I'm going to go with probably almost nothing. And if you do have something, definitely send me a message. Yeah, girl, there are a whole bunch of reasons to be afraid. However, I agree with Elizabeth Gilbert. Fear is boring. IMO, in my opinion, okay, I guess I can only say IMO on text. <laughs> in my opinion, a life well lived is not a life lived in fear. You've been given this one life, so be anything, she says, but don't be boring. Elizabeth Gilbert realized that her fear was boring. You can read about that story in her book, or you can join me this Thursday in the Homeschool Mama book club and we can chat about it. She says that she learned that her fear wasn't some kind of rare artisanal object. It was a mass-produced item available on the shelves of any generic box store. Maybe that's why I've never wanted to own a Costco membership. And also why I love our local grocery co-op, where you can find handmade everything from soap to soup, local grown pea shoots to walnuts, beeswax bowl wraps to essential oils, even flanks of steak to organically raised free-range chicken, handcrafted cheeses to hand-milled oat flour. Girlfriend, I love me some heart-created, handmade, birthed from creativity, everything. Here's what I see that fear does. Fear keeps us from doing stuff, fun stuff, or from owning who we really are, from acknowledging our hard stories. Fear keeps us locked into unhealthy relationships, wasting our time and energy. Fear keeps us from living a purposeful life. Fear is boring. Fear is boring ordinary. Of course, fear is also human, but fear can sometimes disable us from fully living our lives on purpose. If fear could be reflected in a painting, I imagine you'd see various shades of gray. Creativity, on the other hand, would be reflected in many of the colors that are ironically represented on Elizabeth Gilbert's book cover of Big Magic. There's lemon and amber, flaxen, magenta, salmon, rose, emerald, lime, sage, cobalt, sapphire, and azure. I'd rather live a life of color than various shades of gray. So how do we live and embrace that life of color when we're kind of accustomed to the various shades of gray, especially if anybody's noticed, look outside the window, it's slump month, and so we are feeling all the shades of gray. So here's three things that I've learned about living and embracing our lives of color. The first thing is own who you are. This can be one of the most challenging things to do if you haven't done it. I have my story. I know how hard it can be to own who you are. 
But from the other side of having done it, it is one of the easiest things to maintain because you're going to be yourself and that's all you need to be. So you don't need to actually try. Own who you are. Why wouldn't we do this? Oh, I don't know. Because we weren't given the space to explore who we are. So we just haven't spent time getting to know ourselves. Or because we're too afraid of losing someone's validation if we didn't be who they thought we should be. Or because we've been too busy doing stuff for others. Since we're told it was selfish to own who we are and do anything for ourselves. Really though, you are just one person. So I say you be you. I can only represent my version of myself becoming me. My version of me becoming me, really coming into me, required me to embrace some pretty hard stories, embrace my hard stories, to own them, to acknowledge how they impacted me, to be honest about how I was choosing to show up in response to that impact, to recognize how I was self-sabotaging to own that I like certain things, that I didn't like other things, or even that I was indifferent to some things. These were some of the factors for me becoming more me. I deeply identify with the lyrics of the greatest showman's song, This Is Me. And I have some creativities in various ways, but one of them is not singing, and it is definitely not singing <laughs> when I'm just trying to breathe as I speak. But please look it up. You can find it in the show notes of this podcast episode, which is titled How Elizabeth Gilbert Infuses Our Homeschools with Big Magic. And you can find that on my website, or you can just check it out on YouTube. This is me. I am not a stranger to the dark. Hide away, they say, because we don't want your broken parts. I've learned to be ashamed of all my scars. Run away, they say. No one will love you as you are. But I won't let them break me down to dust. I know that there's a place for us, for we are glorious. When the sharpest words want to cut me down, I'm going to send a flood, going to drown them out. I am brave. I am bruised. I am who I'm meant to be. This is me. Look out, cause here I come, and I'm marching on to the beat I drum. I'm not scared to be seen. I make no apologies. This is me. Elizabeth Gilbert reminds us, the universe buries strange jewels deep within us all, and then stands back to see if we can find them. Girlfriend, if you don't know who you are or can't declare it unapologetically, I encourage you to find your voice. Stand up and declare, this is me. The second thing I've learned to embrace a life of color, of big magic, is that you got to follow your curiosities. Curiously, we do this all the time. We encourage our kids to do this all the time, right? Well, I'll share with you my story. One of my stories. When I was a girl, one of the things I loved to do was design houses. 
I cut up Sears catalogs and create vision boards for each of the rooms in my dream home. I'd sit with a pencil, eraser, and a ruler and try to create two-scale blueprints of a home I might one day live in with my four kids and physician husband. Yes, I had that plan when I was a girl. I was also going to be a physician, but anyways, I digress. I still have a copy of one of my earliest designs. Interestingly, the bathroom was directly across from the dining room, a design guffaw for certain. I might have been designing that home before I was 10 years old, sitting on the top bunk of my bunk bed and my sister's and my 9 by 11 sleeping space in that brand spanking new mobile home. In my first apartment, I was just content decorating my 900 square foot shared space with cheap impressionist prints that I found at the local hardware store for $10 each. I imagined that this two bedroom apartment would likely be as luxurious a space as I might live my entire adult life, since I intended to be a registered nurse overseeing a Romanian orphanage. This was my contingency plan if I was 40 years old without kids. Or I could be managing a clinic outpost in the Arctic to pay off my student loans. Or I'd be paying them off faster if I could nurse at a Saudi hospital compound. Or working in administration at an NGO supply center in Mogadishu, Somalia. All these plans I had on paper before I graduated nursing school. So you can imagine that I did not expect I would actually design my dream home one day. But I have twice. The second time I had that opportunity, I created and designed a home and a homestead built on raw land, and it's where I live today. The very first time I stepped on this land with my four kids and the realtor, without my husband, he happened to be at work, a physician, I knew that this land would be my home. So many days I'd sit on the edge of an outcrop and dangle my toes toward the river. Imagine where the windows would be situated in my home. Imagine where the doors would be so I could walk out to feed the chickens and the goats in the morning or grab a cut of chives for dinner or a sprig of mint for tea. If you were to walk my land with me, you'd see a whole bunch of Douglas fir and larch, giant cedar, because I live in the western region of the Kootenai Mountains in southern BC. A hundred feet below my feet is a blue-green river, placid most of the day, reflecting the mountainous carpet of trees and an occasional CP rail train chugging past. Slightly moving ripples on the river move toward a canal just a mile downstream. When the canal locks are open, the water rises or falls quickly and dangerously. To the west, just a hundred feet from our embankment, is an island, once known as Pig Island because someone actually corralled pigs there. I wonder what it was called when a century ago an indigenous tribe would boat here to catch salmon every late summer. The salmon were diverted by the canal, eventually, and I learned much later that the indigenous tribe who summered on the island wouldn't travel to where our home was as they deem that sacred ground. There is indeed something unusually peaceful about our homestead. When we were building our home, the kids and I made a camp 
on the island, fitted with a boating landing area, a fire pit, and Douglas fir. It's ideal for human use, though rarely anyone uses it. But Canadian geese families inhabit that island from spring to fall, so we let them and their young be during that season. There's bald eagle families that inhabit the high ledges of those 200-foot trees all year long. We are a cornucopia of Canadiana over here in the Kootenai Mountains. Say that five times fast. Numerous times we've canoed to the island to splash in the icy cove, our bodies burning as we swam in life jackets and floaties, burning cold, even in July. One Easter, I planted our kids' Easter egg hunt treasure on that island. Every summer, my husband and I canoe over to pick Saskatoons for my favorite coconut Saskatoon tarts. But before our home was built on our raw land, I followed my curiosities and regularly sat on a ledge with my folding lawn chair propped up by shards of granite. On the only level spot of our three acres, we built our home. Not in the pioneer log cabin Laura Ingalls way. Neither of us could work a hammer before we built this homestead, but almost a decade later, we can maneuver all sorts of tools. Rather, we hired a design firm so they could properly design and build this home. By the way, the bathroom and the kitchen are on opposite sides of the house, in case you were wondering. I built and designed this house and the homestead, and this place reflects my soul. I am fully aware that not everyone has the opportunity to do this form of creative design. I certainly didn't think that I would have been able to either. But as I share my story of bringing a childhood dream to adult life come true, you might be reminded of an audacious dream. What is that dream? What is that curiosity you want to follow? Naturally, I got a theme song to inspire you toward that too. And it comes from The Greatest Showman. I give you a million dreams. I close my eyes and I can see the world that's waiting up for me, that I call my own, through the dark, through the door, through where no one's been before, but it feels like home. They can say, it all sounds crazy, I've lost my mind, I don't care, so call me crazy. We could live in a world that we design, because every night I lie in bed, the brightest colors fill my head. A million dreams are keeping me awake. I think of what the world could be, a vision of the one I see. A million dreams is all it's going to take. Oh, a million dreams for the world we're going to make. However big, however small, let me be part of it all. Share your dreams with me. You may be right, you may be wrong, but say that you'll bring me along to the world you see to the world I close my eyes to see. A million dreams is all it's going to take. A million dreams for the world we're going to make. So homeschool mama, dream your dreams. Follow your curiosities just as you're encouraging your kids' curiosities. And the third and final thing 
that I've learned in order to embrace a life of color of big magic is to pursue adventure. When we choose a homeschool life, we quickly learn we need to unlearn or de-school a lot of notions about what an education is anyway. To de-school our notions of how an education gets created for our kids. We also get progressively clearer on our true values. And our true values become more aligned with our daily activities. And we discover that we can live a life of adventure for our kids. We can do it for our kids. We can encourage it for our kids and for ourselves. Adventure always fuels big magic in our lives. Remember how I imagined I had plans to work as an RN in the far north or a Saudi hospital compound? I told you a dream of working in a Romanian orphanage or working at an NGO in Mogadishu, Somalia. How could I pursue those things if I was a homeschool mom? Side note and super cool story, a super cool rabbit trail story. The NGO I was contracted to work with in Mogadishu pulled their expats out just weeks after the military coup that inspired the movie Black Hawk Down. So though I was contracted to go, I didn't go, and that adventure would definitely not be one I'd aspire to bring my homeschool family to. Okay, I digress. Our homeschool family chose to do a whole lot of traveling during seven of our homeschool years. One of our biggest adventures was to travel to rural Kenya where my husband would share his time and expertise in a mission hospital. I had decided before we left Canada not to bring the kids studies on our two month trip, 10 time zones away, because I knew that we would have an educational adventure awaiting us in the cross culture. I was right. It was an immersion in the language, the food, the social faux pas, people's stories. We had a guest speaker Every time we talked to someone, the Kenyans introduced us to chapati, chai tea, cabbage, lots of cabbage, and a whole lot of beans. They introduced us to shaking hands warmly with strangers and acknowledging every child. They introduced us to sharing, even when they had almost no food. They taught us to slow down, see that more is not more and appreciate what we already have. They taught us that no matter where we live in this big wide world, that families the world over value similar things no matter where and when we are born. Homeschooling while traveling gave our children adventures they could never have had in Canada. Only in rural Kenya could our children spend a day with dad on daily rounds in pediatrics and the medical ward. One day, each of our kids took turns putting on adult scrubs and masks and headed to the operating room. Daddy could show them what he does for patients when he works as an anesthetist in the OR. Intubations, IVs, anesthetics. Our kids watched their first surgeries up close and personal, a thyroidectomy, an exploratory laparotomy, open abdominal surgery, and orthopedic repairs. Remember how I told you they were age 3 to 11? Each of them were in the OR. How cool is that? Also like, whoa. The sprawling intestines weren't a hip. Road safety. 
became an adventure. The surroundings were hilly where we lived. It was actually quite cool and we'd have to fire, fire up a fireplace every afternoon to keep warm overnight. But it was seasonally green, ripe for ankle sprains. The tan brown muck stained our clothes and shoes. But no matter what puddle we stepped through or wild chickens we climbed over, the motorcycles on that continent demanded immediate attention. Get off the road. Our family learned about food availability and scarcity. Most Kenyans can tell you what they ate in their childhood. Like mind-blowing, Westerners could not document everything we eat or what we've eaten in our childhood. The daily menu plan of a well-fed rural Kenyan, we were told, was chai and sweet bread for breakfast, beans, cabbage, ugali, which is like a maize porridge, and collard greens for lunch, and if you were lucky, sheep stew for dinner. Even for those of us with means, the grocery store was still a rough, and I mean physically rough, three-hour ride in an Uber ambulance away, because our form of public transportation was the local hospital's ambulance. It was a treat to have a bag of carrots or apples. Though unaccustomed and not so curious to make new friends with new foods, we all tried many new foods because um, we were hungry. We learned to be more thankful for our food, even if it was beans again. One afternoon, our four kids, aged 3 to 11, and our guide, Agnes, went on a field trip. We went to a school, a field trip adventure to school. We took a Toyota-sized taxi along with four other strangers to an even tinier village 20 minutes away. We then walked for 15 minutes past woven maize silos, shambas or family farms as they were called, wandering cows and sheep and children of all sizes. In the mountain town of Capsuar, where we were visiting for a couple months, we watched uniformed primary kids walk an hour for their 7 a.m. school start. Five-year-old children piggyback their baby siblings, and non-schooled kids gather firewood and water for the day. Learning to read and attend high school was a privilege, not a right, for most kids. It was an honor to don a crisp white shirt, plaid vest, and skirt, and then head to school. We stopped at the only private school in the area. The principal eagerly welcomed us without appointment, serving us Fanta sodas. He asked me about the education system of the West and how he could improve his tiny school. I, a homeschool mama, was both representing the West and also the education system. Yeah, insert laugh here. In that conversation, I came to understand that the only way, in his opinion, to enable health and security for families that were in poverty, to which there were many, more than I was accustomed in my part of the world, was for a child to test themselves into a good school, a strict educational case system of sorts, or so he described, was in place to be accepted into any vocational or academic high school or post-secondary school. I realized in the principal's office of that rural Kenyan village school, with orange Fanta soda in my hand, toddlers sitting on my lap, and three other kiddos standing behind me, what a privilege it was to homeschool my kids. 
our trip to this new-to-me world revealed that an education adventure could be found in the cross-culture without books and tests and grades. It turns out we could incorporate big magic through travel adventures as a homeschool family. But I think we can incorporate big magic through adventures in our community. We don't even have to go somewhere. We can just frame our perspective in wanting to have an adventure and seeing life through that adventure frame. We can simply live a big magical adventure by living a homeschool life. I've learned that we can live into our big magical lives when we embrace and own who we are, follow our curiosities, and live in to our adventures. So I encourage you, through the words of Elizabeth Gilbert, do whatever brings you life. Follow your fascinations, obsessions, and compulsions. Trust them. Create whatever causes a revolution in your heart. Just as we affirm our children and what they were meant to do and who they were meant to be, I'm going to affirm and acknowledge you. You need to become who you are meant to be and do what you were meant to do. I know that I must be who I am and do the things I was meant to do. You've listened to my stories. I'm curious what comes up for you. What's on your list of big magical adventures? What have you learned about you? Or what do you need to do to own you? What would you like to include in your life? And what would you like to exclude from your life? What are your priorities and your values? It would be fitting that I close this episode with a song. You can find the link on the show notes at my website, capturingthecharmlife.com. The song is written and sung by Martina McBride, and it's titled Anyway. You can spend your whole life building something from nothing. One storm can come and blow it all away. Build it anyway. You can chase a dream that seems so out of reach and you know it might not ever come your way. Dream it anyway. You can pour your soul out singing a song you believe in that tomorrow they'll forget you ever sang. Sing it anyway. Just sing. Just dream. Love. Anyway. Let yourself be silently drawn by the strange pull of what you love. It will not lead you astray, says Rumi. Finally, Elizabeth Gilbert shares in her book, Big Magic, a creative life is an amplified life. It's a bigger life, a happier life, an expanded life, and a lot more interesting life. Living in this manner continually and stubbornly bringing forth the jewels that are hidden within you is a fine art in and of itself. So in conclusion, I ask you this question. Actually, Elizabeth Gilbert asked you this question. The central question upon which all creative living hinges. Do you have the courage to bring forth the hidden treasures within you? Thanks for joining me today. 
it means a lot for me to hear from you. You can find me over at Instagram, Facebook, the Patreon support group, or my website, capturingthecharmlife.com. Shoot me a message with your thoughts, ideas, or questions. And if you can invest a minute in me, could you leave a review on Apple Podcasts? If you grab your phone, find my podcast, head to the bottom of the page, you'll see a button where you can write a review. When you do this, you're sending a message to Ms. Algorithm to share this podcast with other homeschool families. And if you want to support me in the work I do, I would be so grateful for that too. You can do that over at patreon.com slash homeschoolmamaselfcare. When you do this, you have a special invite to get two hours of monthly support for whatever you need in your homeschool at about just $10 a month. You can find that at patreon.com slash homeschoolmamaselfcare. I'm looking forward to getting to know you and your homeschool family. Until next week, I hope that you and your kids can turn your homeschool challenges into your homeschool charms. You got this, girlfriend. <laughs>